All right, folks, thanks for being here on Sunday night. Grab your hymn books. Let's stand up. You're ready to worship the Lord in song tonight. Brother Ken will come lead us. Let's stand and sing together this evening. Page 147 in your blue songbook tonight, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. We'll sing all three verses at number 147 tonight. What a fellowship, what a joy everlasting arms. Amen. Thank you for being back tonight. Uh, let me give you a couple more, uh, more prayer requests from this morning. I uh, was out to the hospital today to see Brother Buck Bowen. Uh, we put out this morning he's got pneumonia. He's doing well. Uh, hopes to uh, continue to recuperate. He's been there for a couple of days up in Martinsville Hospital. Pray for him. And then saw Jim Hall as well, uh, or spoke with Jim Hall. Jim, of course, broke his uh, uh, foot, or his leg rather, and he goes back in a week or so to uh, hopefully get everything removed and get back at church. And and uh, Sister Georgie told me to tell everybody, keep praying for Jim, but more importantly, keep praying for her because she's about to go crazy. But uh, uh, I told him we'd sure do that, and we uh, sure love him tonight. Let's open up in prayer and ask the Lord to meet with us. Lord, we're glad to be back tonight. Pray your blessings upon our services this evening. We come expecting great things tonight, and we know that if we come hungry, ready to hear from heaven, you'll never disappoint us. So we ask you to bless us tonight. That's Brother Buck there in the hospital, Brother Jim, as he continues to recuperate. And Lord, the others that were mentioned this morning, we lay them at your feet and in your throne room, knowing that you do all things well. Bless now our evening tonight. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Let's stay standing. We'll have a song of fellowship. We'll do this Wednesday night style. You shake hands after we sing. Brother Kent. Page 127, Tissos, trust in Jesus with the first verse and chorus. Have a page number 120. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, now I 
right. Thank you so much uh, this evening. Thank you so much. Let me give you a couple of quick announcements and reminders. First of all, we got some flyers available for you here at the front, out of the postal area, and then also out back as well, announcing our upcoming end of summer Jubilee revival. Uh, you give those out in areas where you can. Uh, we'd sure appreciate that. We're going to inundate social media as well and put out on our radio program as well about that information, so keep that in mind. If you would, again, they're out at the back. We've got some here at the front and out there in our postal area, so pick those up and distribute them wherever you can. And uh, looking forward to that, and pray for Brother C.T. and Becky and also uh, Kyla. I'll share this with you. I don't think uh, uh, Kyla would mind. She's dealing with some significant health issues. Uh, she keeps my wife pretty well informed of, uh, about the comings and goings that she's dealing with, so pray for her if you would. She's also excited because uh, she's got several folks who are asking her for new songs, and she feels like even at she, her words, said, I can see Jordan River approaching, but God's not done with me yet, so you keep praying for his Lord will use her. Fellas, so come on and make your way down tonight, if you would, please. Uh, you be obedient unto the Lord. And, Doc, if you all will play something again for us, you be obedient as you give us unto the Lord. And uh, let's ask God's blessings upon the offering tonight. Father, bless the offering. May it be what you'd have it to be. We'll thank you. We'll praise you and magnify you. And, and Lord, thank you for the opportunity to give. Lord, for the opportunity to give back that which you've given to us. Lord, we sure love you. We can't thank you enough for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Doc, thank you, Miss Lisa. I want everybody to turn in your Bibles tonight to Exodus chapter 15, if you would, please. Exodus chapter number 15. Exodus chapter 15, we'll start in verse 22. We'll read down through verse number 27, which is the end of the chapter. And I'll take just a moment, if I can, and share with you uh, where, where it was that uh, the conversation happened that I stumbled upon or came to this message I'm to the point now in my Christian life where a lot of the, the messages that I end up with that the Lord gives are from conversations or situations that I have with people. And about three weeks ago, I was in uh, Washington State and uh, was there for some education purpose and was also helping some other colleges and had an incredible conversation, one that I don't ever want to forget. Uh, and it led me to this message, and I think it is one that you may be able to relate to. Uh, on the first day of this particular conference, we all introduced ourselves, those of us that were doing the teaching and were receiving the instruction, and uh, we all were vice presidents and or presidents, and about the third day, uh, one of the other vice presidents came up to me, and this particular lady was from Columbia, 
uh, South America. She was a vice president at a college down in Columbia, South America. And her name was Alethea. She came up to me and she said, Dr. Hodges, can I talk to you just a moment? And I said, sure. So we went over to the side there of the, of the cafeteria where we were eating. And uh, she said, I've watched you this week. And I said, okay, I hoped it's that whole, I thought, man, what did you see? <laughs> you probably saw me overeating here in the cafeteria. Is that what you're going to tell me? And she said, um, you introduced yourself on the first day as vice president at Patrick Henry, and, and you introduced yourself as pastor of a Baptist church. She said, I can't remember the name of your church. It was so long. <laughs> and I said, you're right. The name of our church is very long. And she said, I've been watching you this week. And you seem to really enjoy your Christian life. I looked at her and I said, well, I do enjoy my Christian life. I don't believe God saves us to be miserable. I don't believe he saves us to be unhappy. She said, I'm so envious of what it is that you have. And I said, Alethea, what are you talking about? And she said, I was born uh, into a family of believers. In fact, she said, I was raised in Columbia in a Baptist church. And I said, well, what happened? You seem to be talking in the past tense. She said, as I began to grow up in the church and felt, felt very strong connection to the Lord, she said, I'm a born-again Christian. I have no doubt of my salvation. But as I got into higher education, a rift between to ha- began to happen in my life. I said, Alethea, what are you talking about? She said, the further in education I became, the more resentful the church became of me. She said, the more I tried to stay in the church, the more resentful higher education became of me. I said, what are you talking about, Alethea? Describe what you mean. She said, in our country, folks who are very intelligent, highly educated, the church looks down upon them because they, have, they seem to espouse a humanistic philosophy. She said, then if you're in education, uh, 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 the church looks down on you. But if you're in the church, the higher education folks look down on you because you can't be too intelligent and be in church in their mind. And she looked at me and she said, it's something I never thought I'd face, but you seem to have conquered it. And I said, well, I can't tell you that I've conquered anything, but I can tell you that you don't have to uh, check your brain at the back door to be a believer. And you don't have to uh, be, be check your brain in order to be a born-again Christian. But she said the next phrase that will forever, I think, pierce my soul. She said, because of that, I feel like I've become so bitter about God. She said, I've become so bitter about God. And when she said that, it kind of pierced my heart, and she began to tear up just a little bit, and I asked her if I could pray with her, so we prayed for a little bit together. And, and, and the reality is her situation may be very different from your situation, but listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. For every one of us, there will be times where we walk into situations where decisions that we make can make us bitter or they make us better. Where the next choice that we make, the next thing that we do, the next step that we take will turn out to be one that makes us bitter or one that makes us better. And I want to submit to you tonight uh, that those of us who love the Lord and try to live for the Lord are those who understand that the longer you stay bitter, the less likely you're ever to become better. The longer you stay encamped in bitterness, uh, the less likely you're ever to experience the better, and I'm going to say the best that God has for you. I'm going to show you tonight 
in this book of Exodus, in passage uh, chapter 15, passages 22 through 27, how a situation developed for the Israelites, how they came to a situation in which the next decision that they made was one that would turn out to make them bitter or one that would make them better. So the title of the lesson or the message tonight is simply that, Bitter or Better. Let's begin reading in chapter 15, verse number 22. The Bible says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, this is step one of this journey. If you're writing your Bibles, underline that phrase, no water. Step one. Now we get to the next step. Verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink for the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And if you have a reference Bible, it probably tells you that the name Marah literally means bitter. So let's read that verse one more time. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. So step one was bitter waters. Excuse me, step one was no water. Step two was bitter water. Reading now, verse number 24. The people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he Prove them. Step one, no water. Step two, bitter water. Step three, sweet water. Keep reading. Verse 26. Said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. In other words, the Lord says, if you do what I say, you keep the commandments and the ordinance and the statutes, if you do what I say, there will be blessings for you that you cannot right now imagine or understand. So we've gone from no water, bitter water, sweet water, and notice if you would, verse 27, they came to Elam, where were 12 wells of water and three score and ten palm trees they encamped there by the waters so let's let's plot this out folks the israelites are being led by god through the wilderness journey three days now they've journeyed upon this initial transit and after three days they have no water at all i don't need to tell you that they're in a desperate state the body can survive for days and days without food, but can only survive a matter of a few days without water. They were in a matter of desperation. So you understand that when they see this well of uh, Mara that looks to them to be appetizing, looks to them to be appealing, uh, I can imagine the mad rush to those wells, uh, and suddenly they discover that the wells of Mara are bitter. They've gone from bad to worse. The only thing that, that they're not having water to drink is having water in front of you, but you can't drink it. So they've gone from no water to bitter water. Now they've got a choice to make. Are we going to do what God says or are we going to do things our way? 
They do what God says, and those bitter waters are made sweet. They become drinkable. Suddenly, they leave and follow God and end up in Elam, which is a place of abundant waters. You understand that the one decision that the Israelites made in that moment changed everything. That one decision to follow God and do what God says and be obedient to God absolutely changed everything where they went to a place of bitterness at Mara to a place of betterness at Elam. I want you to listen to me very carefully, church. I'm afraid there are far too many Christians today who are camped out in Mara. Things have happened circumstances, situations, problems, trials, difficulties, and we just get camped out in Mara and we let ourselves get bitter on God when there's an Elam just down the horizon. If we'll get out of Mara and start following after God, he will lead us to the place of Elam where not only is there good water, that there's water abundant and free. I want to give you a message tonight that I've called bitter or better, bitter or better. The redemption of Israel is a beautiful picture, a beautiful image, if you will, of the salvation experience of God's people. You know this already, but just as Israel was removed from the bondage of Egypt, so too is every child of God removed out of bondage and slavery to this world. But you also understand that redemption becomes reality because there are still temptations and trials even after redemption. Even after God pulled the Israelites out of Egypt, it was not smooth sailing, nor is it smooth sailing for the child of God. We too promised and guaranteed that there will be trials and difficulties and tribulations in this journey, but we're also promised that his grace is sufficient. Every once in a while, and I hope you'll amen this, even in the wilderness desert journey, God plops down an oasis every once in a while. For the Israelites, uh, God would lead them if they followed him. God would lead them to an oasis where they could drink some life-giving water that would sustain them for the next leg of the journey. Can I pause just a minute? As far as I'm concerned, that's what a Sunday morning's all about. That's what a church is all about. That's what a Wednesday night is all about. It is an oasis for us to plop down in the middle of the week or at the beginning of the week and allow us to drink from that life-giving water because we'll need it for the next leg of the journey. Let me give you a couple of quick points tonight regarding this simple thought, bitter or better. Number one, note with me, if you would, please, the development of these bitter waters. The development of these bitter waters. I'm fascinated by verse number 22. Fascinated by this because it poses an important question. Let's look at it one more time. So, when Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, you understand this is relatively early in this redemption process, or in this journey, I should say. And they went out of the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by the fact that they are following exactly where God tells them to go. They're doing exactly what God tells them to do. They're being led out of the desert. They're being led out of Egypt, I should say, through the desert. They're being led out of captivity, out of bondage, yet they still find themselves in a place of desperation. 
still find themselves, even though they're doing exactly what God says to do, they still find themselves, if you'll allow this, thirsty. They need refreshment. They need nourishment. They need sustenance. And so something very strange happens. When we read it on its surface, it seems to make no sense, but you listen carefully. God's about to use this to teach the Israelites an important lesson, and I've been at this long enough to know that God uses the experiences of our lives to teach us a thing or two as well. What has happened? What's the question? Well, look at verse 24. Verse 23, excuse me, and when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Here's the question. Why were they there? Why were they wandering around for three days with no water? Why did they end up at Marah, a place where the waters were bitter? What are they doing there? Here's the simple answer. They're following God. Please park here just a moment, folks. Please park here with me and understand that when we follow God, he does not guarantee or promise a happy-go-lucky bed of roses. He does not promise that the Christian life, the Christian experience, or the Christian journey will be without trials, will be without problems, will be without difficulties, will be without temptations. In fact, he says just the opposite. And so these Israelites, following God, going ex- they weren't out of God's will. Uh, they were stock step where God would have them go. Uh, and now they're three days without water. And when they finally get to water, they can't drink it. Horrible day. You can imagine how they're thrilled and excited and hopeful and how immediately all of that becomes dashed. And they realize, we can't drink that. So their question, why are we here I think quickly becomes a quandary because notice what happens next. If you would please uh, notice verse 24. The people murmured against Moses. <laughs> I know these were Israelites, but good golly, Miss Molly, I'm about convinced they were Baptists. Amen. <laughs> I know they were Israelites, but the moment things go bad, who do you think they blame? The leader. That used to get all over my nerves, but I've been married long enough to understand that when you are married, man, look at me. Let me give you a piece of good godly advice. Everything is your fault. Amen. Everything is your Don't look over here. She's in Richmond. I can say whatever I want to tonight. Amen. We have, we have this understanding at my house. We laugh about it. We joke about it. But the reality is I've just come to accept the fact Everything is my fault. Hunger in third world Africa, it's my fault. The nuclear missile crisis that's going on in North Korea, I'm to blame. The Russian uh, 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 tragedy that's going on, the collusion between Trump and Putin, that's me. (laughs) My wife laughs about it, then she looks at me and she says, yep, pretty much, amen. (laughs) Our natural tendency We'd like to joke about it, but here's the reality, folks. As humans, even as Christians, we have a tendency to want to cast blame. We have a tendency to want to blame somebody for something. If things are bad, if something's wrong, then somebody has to be at fault. Let me let you in on important discovery, folks. 
Sometimes bad stuff happens because we live in a sin-cursed world. Sometimes bad things happen because bad things happen. Even, and I'd say sometimes especially for the child of God, all the bad stuff in the world, folks, cannot always be laced at somebody's feet. It's the simple reality that we live in a sin-cursed world. Till we've got a glorified body, till we're in the presence of our Master and our Savior, bad stuff will keep on happening because that's the way it is on planet Earth. There's a question that gave rise to a quandary. We go from the development of these waters to the direction of these waters. I want to pause just a moment, if I can, and insert just a little bit of Gregology. Because what I'm perplexed by is how it is that these waters became bitter. Because you understand that water was not meant to be bitter. Water is meant to be life-sustaining, nourishing. Water's not meant to be bitter. Something has to happen to it in order for it to become bitter. So I'm perplexed by this question. What happened at Mara that these waters became bitter? Maybe this used to be an oasis. Maybe this used to be a place where people could pass through on their wilderness journey and find a place of nourishment and sustenance. But something happened. They became bitter. I want to give you two possibilities, and I will tell you straight up that both of these are of my opinion. Uh, These are both Gregology, but hear me what I'm about to say. One possibility that that accounts for the bitterness of these waters is perhaps because there was no flow. They were without movement. Do you understand that, 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 that still waters breed stagnation? Let me say that again. Still water breeds stagnation. A couple of years ago, we experienced that firsthand at my own house. We had, my wife and I were uh, uh, doing some garden work, some flower work, and some landscaping work. And in the middle of that landscaping work, a thunderstorm came up, and so we quickly finished what we were doing and ran inside, got busy with a thousand other things, and forgot about the fact that in the corner of our house, we'd left the wheelbarrow out in the middle of the thunderstorm. Well, you know, we're very busy, quite frankly. And what was a forget moment yesterday became a day and another day and a week and a couple of weeks. And before we realized it, that wheelbarrow had been sitting out there for several weeks and we never gave thought to it. Our uh, bug man came around to spray the house as he does every few months. And he came by and my wife said, uh, 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 buddy, can you really give us a good thorough check? We've been getting a lot of bugs that are coming in the back door. After experiencing... uh, or, or walking around the house, he comes back in and he said, Miss Renee, he's a good friend of ours, he's in heaven now, he was a good friend, and he said, Miss Renee, I'm going to tell you why you've got so many bugs at your back door. He said, if you look just over your patio, you got a wheelbarrow full of stagnant water. There's mosquitoes that are just populating there, and there's flies swarming around it. And he said, all of the chemicals that I have won't fix this if you don't get rid of the stagnant water. How did the water get stagnant? You understand when it was falling, it wasn't stagnant. When it was hitting that wheelbarrow, it wasn't stagnant. 
it got stagnant because it was still. And it began to congregate and puddle up. And the hotter it got, the more stagnant it became. Sure enough, we go around the back, and it looks like there's, I don't want to gross you out, but it is what it is. There was a stagnant film over the top of it almost a a green slime over the top of it. And I'm looking at that, and I look at my wife, and I say, what did you do? And she said, it's your fault. Amen. (laughs) You see, folks, when water doesn't move, it gets stagnant. Can Can I go on a little rabbit trail? One of the things that terrifies me and keeps me up at night is that we will get stagnant on God that we'll get complacent, that we'll get satisfied, that we'll get content. I I hope you'll understand, folks, that what we have at our church is a gift from God. It is not to be taken lightly, and if we're not careful, we can become complacent, say, God, we're good, we don't need nothing else, everything's grand groovy, and we're happy. But may I say to you that just like that water getting still in that wheelbarrow becomes stagnant, that water that doesn't move, in the church house can become stagnant as well, spiritually speaking. One possibility is because those waters were without flow. But then I think there might be another reason. Again, another Gregology statement. Another reason why that water was stagnant. Maybe, just maybe, that used to be a grand and glorious oasis. But maybe folks started putting their own trash in it. Maybe they started dumping stuff in it. Do you understand that if you put enough garbage in water, that water will turn to garbage? Are you with me? That the water is a natural filtrator. It's a natural purifier. It will clean up the junk. It will break down the junk. But eventually, there becomes too much junk, and the water can't break it down. So the water, instead of breaking down the garbage, it just becomes garbage itself. I'll give you another example. I've shared with you many, on many occasions. The summer before my senior year of high school, I was very fortunate to spend a summer in Europe along with 35 other seniors from our high school. We got to travel through 13 different countries. It was a glorious, glorious thing, one of the highlights of my life. But I will never forget the three days we spent in Venice. And we were told Venice, as you know, is a city that's built on water to get from place to place. You don't walk along the sidewalks. You hop in a uh, a gondola or a gondola and you stroll down the canals. You go from building to building in a boat, not on the sidewalk. So we were told by our tour guide, uh, who was especially looking at the fellas because of the hotel we were staying in. The girls were in a different hotel. But he said, fellas, make sure, make sure that you close your windows before you leave at night. Make sure you close your windows. It's critically important. Being 16-year-olds, we heard it. It went in this ear, straight out that ear. How many of you understand that when kids turn 16, they get a stupid gene? Amen. And they get rid of that stupid gene when they turn about 20. I don't know what happens between the years of 16 and 20. I know what happens. I've seen that gene pop up in my own children. Amen. So I had that gene myself, and so did the guy that I was rooming with, and we did not think one second about closing our window. We go out do our thing in the evening with everybody else. We come back home and we open the door to our room 
and there are umpteen gazillion mosquitoes. Our wall, you can't see the wall. It's so covered in mosquitoes. So we go and tell our tour director, what do we do? What do we do? And he gives us a net. And he said, I told you to close your window. Have a good night. Sleep under the net. The next day, we asked him what happened. Why is this like this? And he said, the particular part of Venice where this hotel resides was uh, used to be for many, many years part of the underbelly of Venice. By that, I mean the lower class. Please pardon that language. That was what he said. And because they did not uh, have good purification uh, and they did not uh, have good sewage systems, uh, many of them would just simply dump their scraps uh, and they would dump their excrements into the water. Uh, and after tens and tens and tens of years, uh, even though it had been 50 years ago, uh, the water had never recuperated from all the garbage that had been dumped in it. You understand the point, folks? That water used to be fresh. But because of the garbage that had been dumped in it, it became stagnant. Listen to me carefully. We run the very same danger in churches as well. We got to be real careful uh, what we dump inside the waters of our church. Uh, we don't need to be dumping the trash of the Somebody say amen. We don't need to be dumping the trash of the world inside the church because if we're not careful, the precious life-giving water of the church will become stagnant. That becomes poisonous. The development of the waters. The direction of the waters. Quickly, let me give you number three, the danger of the water. Simply put, there was a real problem here. See, they've gone from no water to bitter water. What's the danger? The water is poisonous. Think with me. You can imagine when they first glimpsed it, they thought, here's the answer to prayer. You can imagine uh, just like a herd of deer uh, running down to grain something to drink who've been wandering in the wilderness. Uh, they took off running, uh, but somebody recognized, somebody understood. Uh, after sipping this water, somebody said, oh my gosh. Something's wrong. Maybe it was Moses. Maybe it was one of the other leaders. I wonder tonight how many folks got sick because they wouldn't listen to the warning. I wonder for just a moment they were so thirsty. And as if it was Moses, as he stooped down and cupped some water and drank it himself and Realized that it was poisonous. I wonder uh, how many uh, still would not listen as he said, don't drink it, don't drink it, don't drink it. So thirsty. Wonder how many got sick because they would not listen to the warning cries. You listen to me carefully. There's an awful lot of people today who are spiritually sick because they would not listen to the warning cries of the poison water. Amen. You think with me for just a second. How many marriages are destroyed because somebody started drinking some poison water? How many testimonies have been ruined because somebody started drinking some poison water? How many times have teenage and young adult lives been destroyed with drugs and alcohol because somebody started dipping into that poison water of drugs and alcohol. How many lives and 
Testimonies and homes and families and marriages and churches have been destroyed because they thought they could handle the poison water. I always get amused. No, that's not the right word. Astounded. That when the preacher stands up to give warning cries of, don't drink, don't drink, there will inevitably somebody who gets mad. Inevitably, someone will say, there he goes meddling into somebody else's business. Uh, May I say to you tonight, anybody that loves you enough to tell you not to drink the poison water is not somebody you ought to be mad at. It's somebody you ought to thank God for. Because the most important thing you've got is your testimony and your life. And when you start sipping poison waters, it won't be long until you're taking poison into your system. Development. The direction. For three, we called it the danger. Finally tonight, the deliverance. Deliverance. I don't know how many got sick. From gulping down the water. I wonder if some of them maybe even died because they drank so much of it. Imagine for just a moment how sick we would get if we went to that stagnant pool of water in my wheelbarrow and took a great big gulp of it. There would undoubtedly be significant medical problems we'd be dealing with, perhaps even lifelong if we survived the experience. Notice what happens. Verse 25. He, that he there is Moses, cried unto the Lord, Lord, help us. Remember, this is early in this journey. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, give me direction. Lord, I need something. Now, stop a moment and say, when you get to the bitter waters of life, best thing you can do is cry unto the Lord. Before you dial up a friend, before you punch up on Facebook, uh, before you get on Twitter, Instagram, or anything else, uh, I would strongly advise you to cry unto the Lord before you start crying unto Facebook about the bitter waters of your life. Reality is, church, listen carefully. Every single believer, you will find yourself eventually at Mara. Every believer will find yourself at Mara. It is completely normal to arrive at Mara. What's not normal is to stay there. What's not normal is to stay there. Would you amen me? God did not save you to dwell in Mara. God did not save us to dwell in a land of poisonous, undrinkable water. So whether or not we leave is up to us. Here's what God said. Cry of Moses becomes the command of the master. Look, if you would, please, at the same verse, verse 25. I have this phrase underlined in my Bible about a hundred times. The Lord showed him tree. Amen. The Lord showed him tree. It was a special tree. God had put it there just for that occasion. And the command was simple. Moses, take that tree there, toss it into the middle of the bitterness of Mara, and something incredible will happen. Moses has got a decision to make. Am I going to do it God's way? Am I going to do it my way? 
Moses, though he was not a leader for very long at this point, wisely decided, I'm going to do it God's way. The Bible says in verse number 25, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made. I'm going to read between the lines here. But I think after Moses tosses the tree into the middle of the morrowed bitter waters, I wonder if anything physical happened. I, I wonder if there was a physical transformation. I wonder if he was able to look at the pool and think there's something different about that or if he just has enough faith to say, I obeyed God. Let's give it a shot. Perhaps he reaches down, takes a sip, looks around to the people who are dying of thirst, says, come on, y'all. That which was bitter has now been sweet. Why, they asked. Why? What happened? What made the difference? Here's all Moses could say. Because God showed me a tree. God showed me a tree that changes everything. Say to every person in the sound of my voice tonight, you'll come tomorrow. You'll get to a place in your life where there are waters to drink. You don't like them. If you're not careful, you'll hunker down there, end up encamped. I want to implore you tonight, let God show you a tree. Because when that tree of Calvary applied to the bitterness of your life, bitterness comes sweet. Hi, Pastor Greg. What's so special about that tree? There's never been a more beautiful picture of forgiveness. Tree of Calvary. You see, most of the time when we're bitter, it's against somebody or something. And when that beautiful picture, that beautiful cross, that beautiful image of Calvary is applied to that situation, most of us have to stand back and say, God, nothing. That's what happens. This is what really comes the cherry on top of the whole dad blasted Sunday. See, they didn't stop there. They kept following God. Kept obeying God. In fact, they made it an ordinance, a law, a requirement. And look at verse 27. Came. Where were 12 elders? Came to eat. I done with this, but I can just imagine that as Moses said, All right, folks, we've been in Mara long enough. Yes, I know these bitter waters have become sweet, but God doesn't want us to stay here. It's time. He's going to take us deeper. Uh, he's got more to teach us. Uh, we've got to grow in grace. Come on, it's time to head out. I cannot help but wonder if there weren't some that said, Whoa, 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 whoa. We're good. We like it here. We got water to drink. We don't need to go nowhere. 
And I can just imagine Moses saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God didn't call us out of Egypt to stay in Mara. Keep, come, keep, keep traveling. He's got something better. So perhaps begrudgingly, struck tent, packed camp, started heading off again. God leads them. Paradise, where there's 12 wells of water. They could have everything they needed to sustain them for the next leg of the journey. Close tonight. I'm saying there's a lot of believers, far too many, especially if you've been in church for any length of time. How many of you will amen me on this? Be in church for very long and somebody going to hurt your feelings. Amen. Somebody going to do something, not do something, say something, not say something. Somebody going to hurt your feelings. Promise you, there's an awful lot of believers church for dwelling Mara. There's no tree planted in the middle of it. Just bitterness. At me, I'm done. God didn't save us to leave us there. There is an Elam just up ahead, but we got to get rid of the Mara that's in our rearview mirror. Bitter or better? Bitter or better? Dr. Gowan, come on, take something quick. If you heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand tonight. I've been once again so attentive to everything I've shared this evening, and I'm so grateful. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you this, and don't raise your hand. How many of you would just be honest and say, I've got some Mara issues I'm dealing with? Things that I, I just need to do. I need to get out of the bitterness. I know God's got an evil up ahead. Don't raise your hand. We begin to sing tonight. I want to encourage you. Why don't you just join me here at this altar? I'm going to be the, be the first one here. Start praying and say, Lord, help me get away from Mara. Help me dwell in Elam. You didn't save me to, to keep me down here at these bitter waters. Brother Ken's going to sing us one verse tonight. That's you and you want to step out, you come on this evening. Brother Ken, sing. Sing for us, buddy.